The following audio is from Downtown Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit downtownchurch.com. So let's go now to the Word of God as we continue our series on um, discipleship. Susan, bring us Romans chapter 10. Scripture reading today expresses Paul's deep desire to see his fellow Jews saved by Jesus Christ. Hear now the word of God. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they do not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Susan. Let's pray together. Our great God, we pray that your word would open our hearts by the power of your spirit 
that we might see Jesus and Him only, that we might be impassioned for Jesus, that we might let go of all the things that we look to and trust in to do what only He can do and has done for us. Would you give us the gift of faith this morning, Father? Would you bring revival and reformation to us as a people that we might be employed in your mission, your kingdom mission and kingdom work to bring the light and hope and truth of the glory of Christ to those around us? Father, may it be felt in this city what we speak of this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul longed for his friends and family to come to faith in Jesus Christ. He was a Jew. He was of Israel. And yet Israel was rejecting the gospel. And we read in chapter 9, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul is longing for his people to know Jesus. He is in personal anguish over the reality that they don't. And yet, he also understands that he has no power within himself to make it happen. We read that as well. It's really the whole point of the previous chapter of chapter 9. For in chapter 9, in verse 18, we read, So then God has mercy on whomever He wills, and He hardens whomever He wills. And it's that that statement that just shakes the foundation of, of believers, and we say, that's unfair! And Paul predicts that, and he writes, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault, and for, for who can resist his will? But then he responds, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? God has called us to go to the nations. Go therefore! And make disciples of all nations. And yet the only way that that's going to happen is if God by His Spirit quickens the hearts of dead men and women to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we see from Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10 is crucial to our disciple making as we go. It's this reality that we must go in tremendous dependence upon God and love for others. Did you get that? In your disciple making, you have to go with the realistic understanding that unless God moves, nothing's going to happen. And so you have to be going, if you will, in great dependence upon God, bathed in prayer, and yet full of love for those to whom you go with a heart's desire to see people come to know the living hope whose name is Jesus, to see your friends and family grow up deeper into Him, higher into Him. And that is our life mission, for that is what God, that is what Jesus sends us out to do. So dependent humility is the posture, and love is the motivation for our disciple-making. Paul's heart is breaking for the Jews. And so the question we've got to ask this morning is, for whom is your heart breaking? I mean, that's, that's not a hypothetical question. 
we, if we're talking about disciple making, if we're talking about evangelism, we have to ask the question, do we even want to do it? Is there a burning passion? Is there anguish of soul because your neighbor might not know Jesus? Is there a burning passion and an anguish of soul because you see those who call themselves Christians not growing up into Christ, not seeing their roots go down, but living a life that is outwardly and obviously not in accordance with the beauty of Christ and not a life that is lived in light of His worth? True disciple-making is centered on a specific reality And that is God changes hearts through His gospel. That's what Paul is getting at in chapter 10. That God, God's mission for us in the world is to speak the truth of the gospel. But the gospel is the power. And we must believe it first. We must preach a Jesus that we believe in this moment. David Platt, I think, put it very well. He said this, When you believe this gospel, you speak this gospel. You see, it has to be a living reality to us. If you believe this gospel, you will speak this gospel. When you believe the resurrection of Christ, you proclaim the resurrection of Christ. Privatized faith in a resurrected king is practically inconceivable. Do you get that this morning? You see, so how, do I, how am I effective in my disciple-making? I personally believe the message that I'm supposed to relay to other people. So let's look at it. The first thing that Paul shows us is that Jesus is the end of our striving. Jesus is the end of our striving. I'm going to use a, a very simple illustration. And if you've ever been around a grill, then you're going to get it this morning. Amy Catherine, our, Rachel, my youngest daughter, and uh, her husband Tom live in an apartment in Denver. And they have a rule in, in the apartment complex that you can't have a grill. Maybe that's a common rule in apartment complexes. But they provide these propane um, grills by the swimming pool. So when we were out there, we uh, bought steaks and we were going to treat them, you know, to a steak dinner. And so while um, Rachel and Amy Catherine were uh, getting the potatoes ready and the salad ready and the dessert ready. Uh, Tom and I, that's the manly thing to do. We go to the grill with the meat. And, and I go up to the grill and, and I kind of have a reputation in our family of, of being someone who knows his way around a grill. And so I, I go up to the grill and I, I push in the button. And I don't use propane a lot, but I know how to use a propane grill. And I push it in and I turn it and, and I get the match and I'm, I'm trying to light it. And yeah, that about burned my finger. So I get another match and I do it again. And I just keep doing it over and over and over. You ever done that? Yeah, it's frustrating because you've... you've, you've Put this schedule in your mind. Okay, I've got this amount of time to get the meat on the grill because everything else is preparing. And, and so I'm thinking in my mind like a typical man, the more, you know, maybe I just need to push it harder and turn it. Maybe I just need to put a little bit more in it. I'm, I'm getting angry and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm cursing the grill. This, this thing doesn't work, you know. And as I thought about this week, I thought that is the kind of striving that Paul is referring or illustrating that Israel is about. You see, Israel, the Israelites were good people. They were not people that you would typically look at and say, man, they need the gospel. I mean, those people are, mm, 
They knew the gospel. These were church people. I mean, these were morally upright people. These were people who knew the Bible, they knew the law, they practiced the feats, they, they, uh, they, they, they worshipped God, they did all the right things outwardly. These were not people that you would think needed to hear the gospel. And yet what they had done through the years is they had replaced faith with work and striving. And dear friends, we can all relate to that because every one of us in here is striving in some way to feel right and good before other people in God. Every one of us. The only question that we have is, what are we using? What are we striving for? What are we seeking to, to, uh, you know, what are we basing our hope on in our striving? Because we are all striving. But the reality is that the world is broken and we are broken and everything is fighting against us. And so as we sin, the more we, more we work and the more we see that we aren't what we want to be and the more we strive and the more we see that we aren't who we ought to be, the more frustrated and defeated we get or if we succeed, the more arrogant and self-righteous we get. And the whole point here is this. God has provided a way. God has sent His Son that we might put an end to the striving for righteousness. That we might stop striving for acceptance with God, but that we might come to a point where we receive and believe that God accepts us through the finished work of Jesus. And that is precisely what Israel was rejecting. And friends, that's precisely what we are rejecting. That the battle is for faith in this message. Listen to verses 2 through 4. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. He's talking about Israel. They have a zeal for God. But not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Why did Israel reject the gospel? Because they rejected this simple fact. I can't work up righteousness to God. There's nothing I can do in my life. There's nothing I can quit doing or nothing that I could do that can make God stop what He's doing and look down and say, Ah, you made it. What Paul is saying is stop your striving because Jesus, He performed for you. He came down and He strived under the law and He fulfilled the law in your place. And so your, your, your goodness is taking you not toward God, but away from God if you're depending upon it to get you closer to God. It's uncanny how many times Jesus rebukes the good people. The people who are not living this wild life and, and sexual immorality and uh, addiction and so forth. But it, it's uncanny how many times Jesus rebukes the good people for seeking salvation through a system of being good, religion. Think about the the Pharisees. Jesus said this to the Pharisees, But woe to you, damn you, that's what he's saying, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! 
For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go in, uh, who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. A proselyte was a disciple. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Did did you hear that? They are making people become children of hell by giving them the goodness of the law and saying this is the way to God. Clean up. Don't uh, drink, smoke, or chew or go with girls that do. And God will accept you. And that's what people did. And Jesus said, you're making your disciples, your proselytes, twice as much a son of hell as you are. And then Jesus blows them away in this same chapter with these words. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors who are the scum of the earth, the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. Dear friends, this is the issue. In our disciple-making, are we making, are we, are we giving people the gospel or are we giving people a false notion that if you clean up your life, if you stop what you're doing, then there is life and God will accept you? Paul is saying this is it. Disciple-making, discipleship, and evangelism are the same. The truth is that Jesus makes us righteous through His performance to the law. And to the extent that you try to work up a performance to the law, in order to get God's approval, you're going away from the kingdom, not toward the kingdom. Is this the thing that you're about when you're talking to other people about Jesus? You know, it's interesting... Um, There's really, if you take this approach, there's really two ways to go to somebody who's living in obvious sin. Um, One is to go to an individual who is living in obvious sin and is obviously not, hasn't embraced the truth of Christ. And the first thing we do is try to clean them up. And the other is to go to somebody and say, even if you stop whatever it is that you're involved in, that's still not going to save you. That's still not going to get you closer to God. The only thing that will get you closer to God is to repent of your sin and to trust Him. A dependent faith in Jesus. So Jesus is the end of your striving. But secondly, righteousness comes from God and is received by faith in Jesus. Righteousness comes from God and is received by faith. As I stood at the grill trying to get it going, working so hard, getting anxious, I finally realized what was going on. The propane wasn't turned on. And so I bent over and I I turned the propane on and boom, there's the fire. Do you want to know how to get the fire of the power of the gospel in your life? It's not to keep striving and working harder. 
It's to turn the valve of faith on. It's to say there is nothing that I can do. It is to literally cry out to God. It's to beat your breast before God to be that guy saying, Have mercy on me, O God. You see, Christian growth is just like Christian conversion. The same thing that brings us into faith, the same realities that bring us into faith, are the same realities that grow us in faith. The thing that that must happen for someone to come to faith in Jesus Christ is they must come to a point at which they believe that there is nothing that they can do to get God's love, but that Jesus has done it all. He has paid it all. All to Him I owe. I mean, that's the point at which we have to get in order to become a Christian. But do you understand that there's no way to leave that and not leave the power? It's like, yeah, I mean, have you ever had the power go out or the fire go out in the middle of grilling? I mean, what do you do? You relight the fire the same way. You don't say, oh, now i got it going. Okay, I'm going to turn that off, and now I'm going to magically cook this meat. No. The same thing that started the cooking finishes the cooking. And that's the gospel for you and me. Because our hearts are deceptive above all things. And the further we go in Christ, many times throughout a day, our flesh wants to convince us that we are better than we are. Our flesh wants to convince us that, that we are more gifted than we are. I saw a friend at Presbytery Friday. If you don't know what Presbytery is, it's, a, it's just a meeting, a quarterly meeting of our denominational leaders. And I heard one of the most beautiful confessions. This is one of my dearest friends. He looked at me. He said, Richard, I had to stand up recently before my congregation and tell them that I had been doing ministry for 20 years in my own power, basically prayerless. And you know why it was beautiful? Because he's prayerless no longer. The valve is turned on. 20 years of ministry. Do you know what kind of realizations I have like that all the time? Because everything in me wants to turn that valve down and say, ah, I got it now. I got it now, Jesus. You go help somebody else. And if the valve of faith in the finished work of Jesus is not a living reality in my heart and soul on a daily basis, I am no good to you. I'm no good to this world. I can do nothing without Him. Because the living reality, our our sin sickness, it's, it's like giving antibiotics to somebody who has cancer. They need something stronger. And that's with us. We have cancer and the only healing that we have is Jesus and His righteousness. The fact that He lived under the law, that He died for our sins, that He rose. He's the one coming back to make all things new. That's why I can go out and I can, I can be active and love my neighbor and provide for my neighbor because I know one day, someday, he or she will be provided for because the kingdom is coming because Jesus came out of the grave and He's coming back. That's my hope. It's not, oh, I understand mercy ministry. I've read when helping hurts. No. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is coming to make all things new, and therefore I must be about making all things new around me in light of His coming. It's all about Jesus. 
And so this is what Paul is saying. Hear me. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Isn't that beautiful? Faith comes through the realization that all our efforts are nothing. I am, I am the most productive and... How do you even say this? I am a bigger blessing in the lives of those around me when I realize that I'm not a blessing to those around me. But Jesus is. And you don't want to live with me when I'm forgetting that. Do you see it? It's this beautiful realization that He is life. That He is the, he is the root. He is the branch. And I'm just a vine. And the branch always is you know, thinking, man, I'm... I'm you know, or the vine is always thinking, I'm the branch. No! It cannot happen that way. But do you know what it takes for someone to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead? It takes the work of Christ. Israel. I mean, you hear this and you think, yeah, I know this, I know this. Come on, let's, let's get to something deeper. Let's get... this, is, this was Israel's problem. They refuse to actively believe there is nothing that I can do. There's no amount of sacrifices I can bring to God. There's nothing that I can give up. There's nothing that I can apply myself to that will bring God down to me. The only thing that will bring God down is for me to go down and say, I have nothing and I need you because you're everything. You know what it takes for that to happen? It takes literally becoming born again. It's crazy. It takes literally becoming born of the water and spirit. That's what Jesus told who? Nicodemus. What was Nicodemus? A Pharisee. He didn't have premarital sex. He did, I mean, you can just go down, whatever sins you think, man, that just excludes me from the kingdom. What? He was a Pharisee. He was blameless according to the law. He's the best dude around. He's educated, has an Ivy League education. He's, he's powerful. He's, he's got everything that most of us want. And Jesus looked at him and said, yeah, um, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Unless you come to the point or at least Woody Allen came to this point. I don't know that he's done anything with it. Woody Allen, the great movie writer, I guess that could be debatable, but anyway, I'll say he is a brilliant, I think, movie writer and producer. He said this. He said, the only regret I have in life is that I'm not somebody else. Now do you see why it's hard for the good to get in the kingdom of God? Do you see why now that Nicodemus comes in the night? I think it's genuine because he's there when Jesus died. He's asking for Jesus' body along with Joseph to, to take it away and prepare it. And I, it, there's, I think that's a real sign that Nicodemus did come into the kingdom of God, but we don't know completely. But, but I believe he was genuine when he asked, what must I do? I mean, tell me. 
when Jesus says, hey, you must be born again, and he kind of leaves, I think he goes to think about it. It's like, man. See, the heart, it's, it's not hard to convince somebody that shooting up or snorting or selling their body or giving their body away that, hey, you need some help. They know it. They may reject it, but, hey, they, they're not playing games saying, oh, I'm better than, you know. They know that where they live. But to go to a good person and say, dude, you've got to repent or you're not going to get in the kingdom of God. What do I have to repent of? How about your rejection of your need for Jesus? Your pride. You see, you've pimped yourself out to your pride. Your pride is what you're shooting in your vein. Your pride and your arrogance is what's keeping you from God. And I want to tell you something. That's worse than what the tax collectors and the prostitutes are doing. That's what Jesus said. Do you understand? It's not, it, it's, your, it's not the bad things that you're doing only that are keeping you from the kingdom, but it's your damnable trust in your good deeds. Now, that is what we have to tell people when we are in relationship with others. That's what we must be giving people or we're giving people nothing. It's not discipling in them and how to do their job better. That's mentoring. It's not discipling. It's not teaching someone how to read. That's mentoring. And it's hugely important. And it can be a part of discipleship. But unless in the midst of all of this we're saying... Here is Jesus, and you need Him, and so do I. Let's go to Him together. Then it's not disciple-making of Jesus. It's disciple-making of something else. And dear friends, we need to be making disciples. That's the last point. God uses you and me to spread the good news. When I was trying to light the grill at Tom and A.K.'s apartment, my son-in-law, who... It's grilled a little bit, but, you know, hey, what, he's 24, 25, something like that? Well, he's an engineer, got a different mind than his father-in-law. But, you know, I mean, they've been married a little over a year, so, I mean, we're, we're tight, but, you know, still there's kind of that, that awkwardness of he's the 25-year-old son-in-law and I'm the father-in-law and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we're breaking through all that. We, we hang out and we do that kind of stuff. But... Watching me make a fool out of myself at the grill, finally he says, the reason that I realized that the propane was not turned on is because he risked telling his father-in-law, I I, I don't think the propane is on. Now, that was risky for him. I mean, there's some son-in-laws that would have just sat there and said, I know what the problem is, and I'm not saying anything. He can just, even if we have to go out for dinner, I'm not telling him. But he risked it. Isn't that how you feel sometimes? And, man, how do I do disciple-making? What? I mean, what are they going to say? You know, what if Tom had... Given in to that fear, you know, of me turning around and saying, you young whippersnapper, I was grilling before you were born. Which is true, by the way. Then he wouldn't, and I wouldn't, have been able to feast that night. 
You see the correlation? Why do we go? Someone gave us tickets several times last week to the tennis tournament. Most people in here probably would never even want to go to the tennis tournament, but it's kind of Rachel and I love to watch tennis. And uh, they gave us a box, like 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 literally like right there. You have your own private seats, and you're right by the court. And so one of the times that they gave us tickets, um, only I could go, and I had about three left. And I was like, man, I just I want somebody. I can't go by myself, man. I want somebody to enjoy this. This is unbelievable. So I'm, I, I know it's last minute, but I'm texting some people and I, I call a few people and I know I'm going to get rejected, but but I keep going. Why do I keep going? Because I want somebody to enjoy this experience. And I got a bunch of no's, but then I got there and said, well, I guess I'm going to sit on these tickets. And I saw one of my friends with his two boys at the ticket counter about to buy tickets. I said, no, 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 don't buy those tickets. Come with me. And we loved it. You see, that's the place that discipleship and evangelism must come from. That's why you have to be experiencing the riches of the glories of Christ daily. Is Christ that valuable to you? Where You've you got to say, man, people, I can't let them not hear this message. Because if I don't at least invite them, they, they, they might miss the dinner. Paul says, how then were they going to call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the law, the good news. Dear friends, do you have good news to tell somebody? Is it bubbling? Is it just coming out of your pores where you just want people to feel the love that you feel, to know the, the freedom of being forgiven forever? of being declared righteous and reconciled to God to the point that no one can separate us from His love? Is that a living reality for you in this moment? If it's not, then you may try to make disciples, but it will be out of duty, and you will be making men and women disciples of whatever it is that you fear. And you may clean somebody up, but you're not going to see them saved by Jesus. And dear friends, you're going to get a lot of rejection. God understands that. He ends this chapter. Paul ends this chapter in verse 21. All day long, but of Israel, God says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. How in the world can we leave today and speak the gospel and work the gospel in the lives of other people. It's to believe it to the point that we are motivated by it. You see, I'm told in martial arts, and I think I was like a green belt uh, in karate during uh, my days in a PE at the University of Memphis, Memphis State back then. I had to take PE, which I don't know if they make you do that anymore, but here I am working nights. I have one or two children, and I have to go take P.E. But So I took karate. Why not? You know, I can at least get some aggression out, fight a little bit. Well, 
this teacher didn't, I don't think, teach me anything, but I've heard that karate masters, martial art masters, um, tell their students when they've taught them everything that they can teach them to go now and teach somebody else and then just to keep doing it. You teachers, when you're teaching, you, you have new thoughts, you have new ideas, it, the, the material comes alive in different ways. That's the gospel. Let me say this. I don't think that you can really grow in Christ unless you're discipling somebody else. Unless you're speaking the gospel to somebody else. I mean, every time I, I, I'm in a relationship with someone and we're, we're talking about the gospel, we're processing the gospel, man, afterwards I go, you know, typically before I go, I want you to know that I'm typically not real motivated to sit down. I'm typically not real motivated to talk. But then I always end... Thanking Jesus for what he's taught me. For what he's reminded me of. That I've got good news. Dear friends, you need to be making disciples as much as people need to be made into disciples. Because this is how we need Jesus. This is how the truth of the gospel becomes second nature to us and something beautiful to us. And so if you're bored, if you're complacent, if you're, ah, this church thing, you know, yeah, I accepted Jesus, go make disciples. Get in community and relationship with somebody. Become friends with somebody. Not so, so you can make them your disciple, but just love somebody genuinely. Become friends with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And beg God to give you an open door. And then enter it. And speak freely of your love for Jesus, but your unconditional acceptance of them where they are. And see if the gospel doesn't start budding in your life. Dear friends, you've got to believe the gospel, and then you will speak the gospel. And then we will see true disciples of Jesus. Father, we thank you so much. Uh, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you lived under the law, that you went to the cross, you were condemned for our sins, so that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but we have been declared righteous in Christ. We are the very righteousness of Christ because of him. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you rose from the grave, you ascended to heaven, and you're coming back to make all things new. Father, may we be faithful to bring that newness to those around us in loving, living relationship with people unlike us, with people like us. <laughs> oh, Father, would you use us and may we see your kingdom spread in Memphis and beyond that the world might know your fame. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.